Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6, Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Well, the elders of our church are praying this year in a renewed sense, in, in, a, in an increasing way about the matter of prayer. We want you to know that. We, we want you to know that it is deep in our heart to see us as God's people growing in prayer. And so we are just committed to devoting more time to prayer. We're, we're asking God to transform us as an elder board, to transform our church as prayers. Our staff in the same way are, are devoting more time and intentionality to praying that God would transform our prayer life, our prayer lives together. And even I just want to share from my own heart personally something that I'm praying for us as a church. I, I'm praying that it would be clearly evident among us, especially here on Sunday mornings in this room, in this very room, and, and in that hallway, that we are a people devoted to prayer. And one of the things that I hear often from some of you, as you're newer around here, from new visitors to our church, is that we are a friendly church. And I love that. That brings joy to my heart. I think that's incredibly important that we would be friendly and welcoming to those who walk through the doors because Jesus is friendly and welcoming to us. And yet my prayer is, is that if a new visitor were to come in, and maybe today that's you, that you would see there's a people of God here in this place that are devoted to prayer. That, that you would see little pockets of people in this building on Sunday morning just huddled together, calling out to the Lord before and after service. Just in these chairs or, or maybe against the wall there in that place. Just gathering together, calling out to the Lord, communing with Him. That's my heart's prayer for us as a church, that, that we would grow in this way. It's, it's not that we're not a praying church. We, we are committed to prayer. We do believe in prayer, the necessity of prayer, the power of prayer. I'm just praying we would continue to excel still more. I hope that's the longing of your heart too. You know, we're, we're coming back to a series called Transformed, Learning to Think Biblically, and probably by now it's going to be no surprise what the topic, the title of this morning's message is, Learning to Think Biblically About Prayer. Learning to Think Biblically About Prayer, and we're going to spend this morning and next Sunday looking at the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave to His disciples as a model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, to learn how we can be growing and developing in the area of of prayer. Some of you have heard me talk about Dr. Roskup. Dr. Roskup was a man Matt and I had uh, the privilege and joy in seminary of sitting under his teaching in, in a few different ways, one of them in the area of prayer. And, and Dr. Roskup is a godly man. He's a man of much prayer, and, and I have the privilege of keeping in touch with him even now. And, and last month, in January after Christmas, after the holidays, I was praying for him, and I wanted to send him an encouraging note. He's an older man. He's in his 80s, and um, I just wanted to let him know I was praying for him, and, and that I appreciate him, and that I wished him a Merry Christmas, and I, I would love an update from him of, of how his ministry is going. He's no, no longer teaching at the seminary, but he's serving faithfully in his church, and he responded to me, and, and I've been thinking about him. You know, one memory I have is when he um, gave a chapel message 
one morning on the topic of prayer. I, I'm sure he was asked to come and speak to the students on prayer, and he opened up saying, I want to talk to you this morning about some things that I'm learning in prayer. Think about that. Seven decades following Christ. A man of much prayer, a few hours a day in prayer, teaching seminary classes on prayer, writing books on prayer. And he stood before us humbly saying, I'm learning, right? Still in process about prayer. And he wanted to pass that on to us. So may we think about that and think that we still have room to grow. And I just want to share with you his closing words, so fitting even with where we're at in Ephesians, looking at maturing and growing together as a body of Christ. He, he concluded his, his message back to me saying, may God greatly encourage you and use you more and more as you grow. As people in the New Testament are said to grow. And then he lists a whole bunch of passages about how the New Testament says that we grow as followers of Christ. And then he says, or exhorted to grow. And he lists yet more passages on how we're commanded to grow. And then he says these words, we need to keep growing to the very end when we go to be with our Lord. This from a man who's close to going to be with his Lord. A man who has grown throughout the years and yet knows he still needs to grow that much more. I'm greatly encouraged by that. I hope you are as well as we we look at growing in prayer together. As we look at persisting in our lifelong journey of continual transformation in prayer. What I want to show us this morning is that we need to see the importance of prayer. We need to cultivate the desire for prayer. And we need to follow the pattern of prayer. This is going to be our, our outline as we go. The first two are going to go through pretty quickly so that we can look more in depth at what it means to follow the pattern that Jesus gives to us as his disciples for prayer. All right, the first one, see the importance. See the importance of prayer. Everywhere we look in the Bible, we see prayer. We can't get away from it. No matter what section of God's word we're reading about, from beginning to end, we see prayer. God's people calling out to Him. God's people communing with their Lord. Drawing near. Experiencing a true encounter with the living God. This is what God commands of His people. And I I don't think... You need evidence of that. You you are aware that that God's word commands us to pray. It assumes we're praying. It tells us to pray. It tells us to pray without ceasing. Here it tells us how to pray. We're commanded to pray. We, We see countless examples throughout God's word of his people praying to him. One of my favorite is Daniel in the Old Testament. You might recall Daniel, this man of God, in Babylon, under captivity. Much like Joseph, seen to be a man of great integrity, a, a man able to lead. And, and so the king of Babylon promotes him within to, to lead the people. And, and then when the king of Babylon is replaced by the king of the Medes, he too sees in Daniel a man of integrity, a, a man of ability, a man of God. And he promotes him. He's, he's the next in command to lead all of the people. And the others in command, the other leaders, were jealous of Daniel. And they wanted to bring him down. And so they they got together, they conspired against him, and they thought, how can we bring him into disrepute with the king? And they could, could think of no way at all that they could do it other than if they were to 
get him in some aspect of following the Lord. And so they, they go to the king and they say, King, if it pleases you, make a decree that all in the land for the next 30 days can pray to no one but you, O king. And he's like, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that. See, they knew this is it. This is how we're going to get Daniel. Daniel knew the importance of prayer. And in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, we'll put up on the screen, it says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that's it, no more prayer to anyone but me, the king says, Daniel went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Nothing was going to stop Daniel from prayer. He knew the importance of it. He knew how vital it was in his life and for God's people. And the same is true for us as well. Daniel knew apart from God, he wouldn't have sweet fellowship. Sorry, apart from prayer, he wouldn't have sweet fellowship with God. He, he would have no peace for his troubled soul. No strength to live for God. No depth of wisdom. No assurance of forgiveness from sin. We could go on and on in this list. Prayer is critical. Prayer is critical. And we see this in the life of Daniel, of course, but we see it exemplified much more so in the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Jesus, his prayer life is the perfect example of prayer for us to look to, to see the importance of communion with God. I just want to go through a, a few areas as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels over and over again we see Jesus in much prayer. We see Him praying early in the morning. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, After rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there He prayed. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, we see Jesus praying after long days of ministry. It says, After he had dismissed the crowds. He just fed the 5,000. No doubt, tired and, and weary. A long day. He dismisses the crowd. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. To pray. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we see Jesus removing himself from all that, the busyness of, of what's going on. It says, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. That's the ESV. Some of you might have the NASB. It's, it says he would often slip away. I, I really like that translation. Just this picture of Jesus being like, okay, enough. i got to get alone with God. In Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus, how he spent whole nights at times, overnight, agonizing in prayer. It says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus' life was saturated with prayer because he knew how important prayer was. We see him praying at his baptism, at his transfiguration. We see him praying before his miracles. We see him praying in the upper room. We see him praying in the garden before his arrest and crucifixion. We see him praying on the cross as his dying words were a prayer to the Father. Jesus' disciples no doubt would have known that prayer was important before walking with Jesus. They would have known from the Word of God. They would have known from their religious culture around them that prayer was vital. And yet I can't help but to think that when they encounter Jesus Christ, when they see His extraordinary prayer life, that their appreciation for its importance would have been all that much more amplified 
And we see in God's word that they wanted to know how to pray like Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, they asked him, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. They saw how important it was and they desired to grow. That's first, see the importance. Second, cultivate the desire. As we're thinking about uh, prayer, as, as we want to learn to align our, our heart for prayer with God's word and what it says about prayer, we need to cultivate the desire for prayer. And first and foremost, fostering a growing eagerness for prayer begins nowhere else but with prayer itself. And some of you are like, oh, what do you mean? Like, it sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? It's not, though. When, when we come to want to grow and to, to cultivate a desire within us to be transformed in our prayer lives, we must begin by asking God to do that in us. We can't do it on our own. And so we need to call out to God, God, change my heart. Make me desire prayer in even more increasing ways. Teach me, O oh Lord. To pray. Along with this prayer for increased desire for prayer, we need to pray for decreasing desires for other things. You know, for me, I've, I've begun praying that the Lord would make me enjoy sports less. I enjoy sports. I, I enjoy the competition. I enjoy watching typically the playoffs of almost whatever sporting event, just because I, I get the thrill of, of the competition, and yet I don't want to enjoy sports as much as I do, so I'm asking God to take that from me. Make me not care. Make me be satisfied with a little bit of watching sports so that I can be about more important things, about things that actually matter for eternity. Things like prayer. So pray that God would increase your desire for prayer and pray that he would decrease your desire for other things. Another way we can nourish our desire to grow in prayer is by studying what the Word of God has to say about prayer. Just like we're doing this morning. Opening up to passages where we're, we're taught what prayer looks like from God's Spirit-breathed Word. Reading and, and studying and, and trying to adapt you know, Paul's prayers and the epistles are a great place for this as well. To see how Paul prays, like we've seen just in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and chapter 3. And then striving to pray in the same way as God's Word. We can look for examples in the Old and New Testament. We can ask God to help us grow in prayer. And we can, we can engage in that which will promote growth as a prayer Basically, what I'm saying is we can get after it. We, we can take steps of faith right, to try and establish new habits and patterns in prayer. You know, maybe some of you want to grow in your frequency of prayer, how, how often you pray. And, and maybe a really practical way that you could do that is, is by setting a reminder somewhere. You know, we do it for other things. Many of us do that to wake up in the morning. We, we can... Set a reminder at different points in the day to bring us, you know, to cultivate that desire. You know, eventually, yes, it will become pattern. It will become something that we do. But if we're not there yet, we, we can use something like our cell phone uh, reminder or, or another way to say, 
okay, yes, I need to set aside what I'm doing because I desire to be more in communion with my God. Listen, any message on prayer I know is just automatically going to bring conviction to all of us. So I just want to say, even as we go on here talking about prayer and growing in prayer, that it's, it's not my desire to press in on you to, to somehow make your conscience heavy. It's, it's to show you what it means to desire to meet with God and experience, experience fellowship with Him. And to long for that. To long for that. Maybe it's not frequency. Maybe it's duration. Maybe you have not a lot of trouble coming to God initially in prayer, but then you, you really get stuck on tarrying long with Him in prayer. And you want to spend more time with Him. You're just not sure how. Well, a couple of practical ways you could, you could influence your prayer life in that way you could grow is, is by praying through the Scriptures. As I've already mentioned, any, any page of the Scriptures, we can start to turn what we're reading and turn it into prayer. And that's a, a habit we can grow in, a skill that we can develop. Maybe you don't have a prayer list. You know, what I did is, is I set out the week, Monday, Tuesday, went every day of the week, and I just wrote things down that I want to be praying about every day. And some of them are the same every day, and then some of them are different for each day of the week. And I've thoughtfully in advance written out what I want to be praying about so that when I find myself, you know, head bowed, eyes closed, praying to the Lord, I don't have to just think then and there of what I want to be praying for. I've already written it down. Maybe you want to grow as someone who prays with others. Maybe, maybe you're used to praying by yourself, but you see the value that God places on praying with other believers. And you want to grow in that area. I would say start small. Gra- grab one other person and, and say, can we meet up for the purpose of prayer? And go from there. Maybe you want to grow in your understanding of prayer. Maybe you, like the disciples, look to Jesus and say, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. How, how can I pray? Well, this is where Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 6, and he says, all right, let me tell you, pray like this. So we're going to look now what it means to follow the pattern of prayer. Or follow the pattern for prayer. Jesus gives here a model, a model prayer for us to follow and learn from. And he's just addressed a couple of forms of prayer that are not acceptable to God. He says, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't stand and pray in front of people so that your eloquent words will impress them. That's not what prayer is. He says, don't pray like the pagans do who just think that repeating these words over and over again are somehow going to um, give you a meeting with God. That's not prayer, he says. Rather, he says, pray like this. Look down at verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure it's the most commonly known prayer in the Bible, if not in the whole world. 
And because this is the case, unfortunately, it becomes all too familiar a lot of times, doesn't it? And yet, the irony of it is, is Jesus just finished saying, don't just pray these many empty phrases, and yet this, this prayer, if, if we're not careful, can just roll off our tongues without really seeping into our hearts. It ends up being a mere ritual. Jesus didn't give these words with the intention that they would just be mindlessly repeated. No, he, he gave it to us so that we would learn how to pray. It's, it's not a formula, it's a guide. It's, it's not a script, it's a model. So let us learn this morning from Jesus' words here, from his direction for how we ought to pray. Meaningful prayer requires intentional care. Must make sense because it rhymes, right? Meaningful care requires intentional care. We need to be thoughtful about what we're praying because often, don't you resonate with this, that we, we can pray without actually praying? You know what I mean? We can close our eyes, we can, we can say some words and yet never actually meet with God and have an encounter with Him. Thinking thoughtfully about prayer will, will help get us away from that. Help us see what it means to have a sincere experience with God when we come to Him. I just want to look this morning at two ways that Jesus tells us to pray in this text. And the next week we'll look at the third way. They are these. Proceed as children, prioritize His glory, and present our needs. I think that's a helpful summary of of the Lord's Prayer. Proceed as children, prioritize His glory, and then present our needs. Jesus begins by telling us to pray to our Father. Our Father. Again, this can become all too familiar and lose the depth of of meaning that is behind it. I read this week that a scholar about a hundred years ago, a German scholar, set out to study the Old Testament and also contemporary to the Old Testament writings of the Jews, to find out if any Jews personally ever addressed God as Father. And you know what he found? Not one instance. Not one time where God's people in the Old Covenant addressed Him personally as their Father. Yes, He was Father of the nation Israel. He was Father as Creator over the whole world, but never personally Father. Then along comes Jesus who repeatedly referred to God as his Father. The Jews were so outraged at this. This is one of the reasons why they wanted to stone him. They said, how can you, being a man, make yourself equal with God by calling him your Father? And yet Jesus laid claim as the Son of God to the right to call him Father. And now here we see as Jesus invites us And even more than that, he teaches us, he tells us to address God in the same way that he himself does. It's profound. I thought of John, writing in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father 
has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. When we come to God in prayer, we come as children loved by a gracious Father. Such intimacy here. He receives us as a perfect child, sorry, as a perfect father would receive his very own child with perfect compassion, perfect care, perfect comfort, perfect provision, perfect guidance, perfect help, perfect love, perfect peace. What a privilege to be able to come and call God our Father. And this access, this privilege, is only made possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, not just anyone can call God Father. God is the Father of those whom He has adopted through Jesus Christ. He sent His Son into this world to redeem a people for Himself. A people that Jesus would later call His brothers and sisters. Those who trust in Him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. Those who acknowledge Him as Lord of their lives. This is who gets to call God Father. What a privilege. This is, this is grounding our prayers right out of the gates in gospel realities. It's not just some, our Father. You know, we don't just say it. We think about how He has brought us into His family through the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus said, No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. I'm sure there's some in this room who don't know the Father this morning. Maybe you've tried praying and you just don't get it. What, what is this? Because I, I don't understand. I, I don't f- feel any closeness with God when I try praying. Maybe it's because He's not your Father. Maybe you need to bow your knee to the Son in order to first be adopted into the family so that you can then rightly call out to God as Father. Notice also as we proceed as children that Jesus teaches us to pray our, our Father. It's a a direct contrast to the self-centeredness reflected in the prayer that Jesus had just condemned. We're not just concerned about me in prayer. We're we're concerned about us, our family, believers in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in the church and across the world. Jesus assumes that we're going to be praying for and with one another. We see this after the Gospels end and we read of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. We, we see over and over again the, the brothers and sisters, the faithful ones meeting together for prayer. They meet in homes. They meet in upper rooms. They, they meet outside down by the river. They're praying together, calling out to God together. Did, did you notice the plural pronouns in this prayer? Look, our. Verse 11, us, our Verse 12, us, our, we, our. Verse 13, us, 
us. This is a communal prayer. This is how Jesus wants us to be praying. He expects his disciples to pray not just for themselves and not just with themselves, but for and with others. I have to make mention of prayer and praise night coming up on Wednesday night. You know, it's, it's my heart, honestly, this is sincere longing of my heart is that each and every one of you would be at prayer and praise night on Wednesday night. Not so that we can go and call up other churches and boast that we have a bigger prayer meeting. No, because we get to meet with God together. We get to have an encounter together with our Lord. I, I beg you, if, if you're not making these monthly prayer meetings a priority, please, you've got to see that this is in line with Jesus' will for our prayer life, that we would be together in this. I'm not saying this, again, to make you feel guilty. I just... Let this be an encouragement to your heart of how important it is that we do this together. Some of you, I know, uh, are uncomfortable praying with others. Let me just say that authentic prayer is never about impressing anyone else. It's just about calling out to God. And we're all growing in prayer, and some... Some are in more infant stages of prayer than, than others, and that's okay. We, we love you. We love each other. We just we want to call out to the Lord. Our, we, so important. Also notice that Jesus says that we call out to our Father in heaven. In heaven. One writer said that Jesus shows us that even as we can come to God as His children and approach a loving Father, we must not forget that the Father to whom we come is none other than the Almighty God of the universe. If, if you're a follower of Christ, your Father is the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth. What deep reverence this ought to cultivate in our hearts in prayer. We cannot come to Him casually, even though He is our intimate Father. What great confidence this ought to produce in our prayers. We don't have to doubt, is He able? Is He powerful enough? Can He do it? No, He's the King of heaven and earth. Almighty Creator. Our Father in heaven. He can do it. Because of the redemption from sin that Jesus accomplished for us, we've been adopted into His family and we have access to God. God. That's amazing. These aren't just some throwaway first four, four words of a prayer, our Father in heaven. No, do you see the depth of profundity here? We need to come. We need to come in prayer and proceed as a humble child, a lowly child, knowing who we are in this communion with the heavenly Father. See how these these. This, this short phrase, our Father in heaven, could just give birth, could, could just come open up the flood of many waters of many other prayers. See, this is, this is a model, right? This is a starting point. We, we can look at this and, and just say, God, you are the Father of a multitude of redeemed people of whom I get to be a part. Praise your name, O oh God. God, you rule and reign from heaven. There is nothing you cannot do. And we can, we can extrapolate in every area of this prayer and grow 
grow our prayers, be transformed in the way that we call out to our Heavenly Father. So first we proceed as children. Next, we prioritize His glory. Prioritize His glory. That's what the next three lines in this prayer are about. They're about God and making Him the central focus of our prayers. Jesus says, when you come to your Father in heaven, prioritize His glory. Al Mohler writes this, he says, as we approach Jesus' teaching on prayer, we should ask ourselves, how do Jesus' words correct any bad habits in prayer that I have developed? How is Jesus challenging my prayer life and inviting me to enter into a more God-glorifying pattern of prayer. I think that's just a wonderful application for this morning. To ask ourselves these questions, God, where have I developed some areas in my prayer life that, that need to be more thoughtfully aligned with how you would have me pray? God, how can my prayers lift up your name first and foremost? See, the order is important here. Jesus is going to get to our asking God for our needs. God wants us to do that. He wants us to come as children to ask Him for help in many areas of our lives, I would say in every area of our lives. But first, we must make God the focus. We must make sure that the one person that our prayers are primarily are about is not us, but Him. So He tells us, prioritize His name. Prioritize His name. He says, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a word that we're used to using, right? That's, that's kind of out of our contemporary vocabulary. What, is, what does it mean to hallow? It means to set apart and treat as holy. To set apart and treat as that which is like no other. And this is a petition, by the way. It kind of it might read like it's a declaration, like, God, your name is, is so great. It's, that's not what's here. This is a petition. This is a request. God, exalt your name. This first petition, ask God, God, would you be honored above all else? Would you ensure that you are recognized as the one who has no equal? God, would you make it so that you are regarded the way that you and you alone deserve to be regarded. God's name is, um, is who He is. It's one and the same thing. That, that's why we can't ever use God's name in an unworthy manner. Because God's name and God's person are, are one and the same. And so when we ask God to hallow His name, we're asking Him simply this, God, magnify Yourself. Put who You are on display for me and for all to see. Do, do this in my heart, our heart as the church. Do it in the world out there. God, work in us so that we would prioritize your name and not our name. God, work in our blasphemous culture so that others would see and acknowledge you for who you truly are. We could also take this and and extrapolate, right, and, and pray other prayers just based on this, hallowed be your name. We, we could adore God. We could, one, one time I was asked, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to just 
in prayer, put off the request, and just simply tell God who he is. God, you are awesome like no other. God, you are to be praised above every name. God, you are the only God. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of all history. You are my God and Father. God, you are wonderful beyond description. We can put into practice what we're asking God to do in us right there in our very prayer. God, make it so that all that we do is focused on what will bring much glory to you. That's a great way to begin prayer, isn't it? Prioritize his name, Jesus says, and then prioritize his rule. Prioritize his rule. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Jesus says, pray like this. Pray about the kingdom. And in this, Jesus is inviting us to share in his mission. Jesus had a kingdom mindset, right? Jesus came to redeem a people for himself, to build his church, his kingdom. Jesus says, pray with a kingdom mindset. Pray that the kingdoms of this world, big and small, seen and unseen, would give way to his kingdom. For the kingdom of God to come, this is is what Al Mohler says, for, for the kingdom of God to come means that all other kingdoms, including our own, must fade into oblivion. And we can so easily be concentrated on our own kingdom, can't we? Just just like we can make our name our life's focus, we can make our kingdom our focus. And Jesus knows that, and and so he wants to reorient our thinking, and he tells us, pray that, that his kingdom would come. And take, take away your kingdom, and take away all the kingdoms of darkness in this present evil age. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So there's, in, in one sense, we are part of his kingdom now. He is the king who's reigning and ruling in our hearts, in the church. But in another sense, he's the king who is to come. And we need to pray along both of these lines. We need to pray that the rule of Christ would be more evident now in our lives and in the world. That those who are in the kingdom of darkness would would also be transformed and transferred into the kingdom of light. And then we need to pray that the fulfillment of his promise would come to pass. That he would establish the new heavens and the new earth. And bring his kingdom and, and his people into one that we might see him face to face. See, there's an already not yet aspect of the kingdom going on here. And we can pray for both of these. And we can pray like John at the end of Revelation who says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Another writer said, when we pray, your kingdom come, we ask first that God's gracious rule may come in us. And second, that it might come through us to others. Moreover, we take confidence in the fact that it will one day come fully in power in the personal rule of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of history. Are our prayers reflecting this kingdom focus? 
this kingdom mindset. Jesus says it ought to be so. I also read a list this week that I want to share with you of basically what, what are we praying when we pray your kingdom come? How, how can we be biblical in our thinking about prayer in the area of the kingdom, the rule of Christ and His, his Father? What, what does this sound like? Well, here's several examples. When we pray His kingdom come, we're praying that history would be brought to a close. We're praying to see all the nations rejoice in the glory of God. We're praying to see Christ honored as King in every human heart. We're praying to see Satan bound, evil vanquished, death no more. We're praying to see the mercy of God demonstrated in the full justification and acquittal of sinners through the shed blood of the crucified and resurrected Christ. We're praying to see the wrath of God poured out on sin. We're praying to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're praying to see a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new creation. This is what I want my prayers to look like more and more. How is God challenging your prayer life and inviting you to enter into a more God-glorifying pattern of prayer when it comes to kingdom prayers. How can you and I, how can we grow so that our prayers are more kingdom concentrated? Well, one way is the next request in this prayer. They're very closely linked. Look, next he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, thirdly, prioritize his will. When you come to God in prayer, prioritize His glory. Prioritize His name, His rule, and His will. Say, Your will be done, O God. In in heaven, all of the angels and all of the souls of the departed saints, believing saints, believers in Christ Jesus from this world are right now in His presence, praising Him in perfect obedience without sin. When we pray, Your will be done on this earth. We're asking God, make it look more here like it does there. Prayer can so easily come to be about our will. But Jesus says, no, make it about His will. Pray that His will be done. Don't get mixed up in thinking that God needs to do what I'm asking Him to do. Rather, submit lowly to Him, saying, God, You do what You say is best, and You help me to live my life in accordance with the way You've called me to live it in Your Word. May Your will for me be done. May Your will for us be done. May Your will be done on this earth. We sang this morning, Your will your way. You know, it's funny. Polly and I were talking to our daughter Meredith, four years old, about that song this week. You know, one of the responsibilities of parenting is to constantly remind your children that they are not in charge. I hope parents are doing that. You know, often in our house, the question, who's in charge? 
right? And sometimes she wants to get smart and say, God's in charge. Yeah, that's right. God's in charge, and, and he's in charge of everybody, and God put me in charge of you. And we said, you know the song we sing? Your will, your way, let it be my joy to say. Whose will are we talking about? Whose way is that? Just blank stare, right? That's, that's God's will. God's way. He's in charge. We need to do what he wants us to do. And guess what? It's always better than our idea. It's a joy to align ourselves with God's word. And you know, if I'm really honest with myself when I'm talking to my daughter in that moment, I'm really looking in the mirror, aren't I? I'm just better at disguising it than she is. She just, you know, flat out wants her own way. I, I come up with other ways. But Jesus, Jesus knows that. He knows that about my heart. And so when he tells us how to pray, he says, pray that, that, that your heart would desire for God's will to be done. We, we would never dare say, not your will, but my will be done. But if this, if this is lacking, if your will be done is lacking from our prayer life, perhaps our prayers are closer to, I, I know what's best, than we'd like to admit. And certainly our lives will stray in that direction apart from keeping to this pattern that Jesus is calling us to in prayer. I also read this week this, this line, and I think it's so helpful. It says, all the trouble in this world is a result of someone or some people wanting their will instead of God's. Isn't that true? It, just boils, it all boils down to that. From the fall of Satan to the fall of man to the ongoing rebellion in the heart of every man, and woman, and child, is this tug-of-war struggle. My will, God, I want it my way. So Jesus says, let your prayer be shaped by coming to God and acknowledging that it is His will that we pray to be accomplished. J.I. Packer said that it is here that we see more clearly than anywhere the purpose of prayer. It's not to make God do my will, for this is practicing magic. But to bring my will into line with His, for this is to practice true religion. Jesus knows our hearts too well. He he knows we are prone to wander. He knows, therefore, how we need to pray. He knows how we need to grow and be transformed in our prayer lives. He knows we're tempted to pursue our own fame, our own empire, our, our own way. So he teaches us, he says, pray like this. Pray like this. Prioritize his glory. Put him first in your prayers. His name. His rule. His will. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he went to a garden called Gethsemane. And the scriptures tell us that this was a common place that Jesus and his disciples would withdraw to pray. And yet this night was a night like no other night. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew in just a short while a band of soldiers would would appear with torches in one hand and swords in another. He knew he would be betrayed by him who was supposed to be a friend. He, He knew that he would be arrested and brought in the cover of night to a fake, false, just absurd trial, condemned 
as one who is guilty, even though he wasn't, beaten, scourged, mocked, sentenced to death on a cross as a criminal. He knew he would the next day drink the cup of the fury of God's wrath for sin. And the scriptures tell us he fell to his knees and then he fell on his face as he called out to God and modeled this very prayer, your will be done for us. Three times he said, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus prioritized the glory of the Father. 